obtain all that information. I know they have their smartphones, but I think my wife pulled like an audible like at 11 o'clock last night and said, hey, we're doing a training, by the way. And so you guys are extremely flexible. And I hope I'm a better leader than my wife in those regards, because I, no, I'm just, you know, that was a joke, that was a joke. Um, yeah, wah, wah, sorry, some laughed, some were like, eh, you're not. Um, anyways, uh, well, how's everybody doing? Do I look like Donald Trump this morning? I'm just wondering. I feel like I have a certain thing going on with my face. I don't have raccoon eyes, right? I'm, I'm doing okay. I spent a, uh, about 12 days with my wife and my son in Hawaii, huh? Not a bad deal, not a bad deal at all. It's actually very fun. We um, spent about four days uh, with a missions uh, group of about 60 to 70 kids who are doing the six-month program and going to be sent out into the mission field after that program. So we spent a good time with them. I think we were teaching for four hours a day. It was a lot of teaching, a lot of words. I ran out of words by the end of that. I needed a vacation after I was done with those guys. Um, and then we went to parts of Hilo and Kona, so we had a good time. I mean, every day was sunny and 80 degrees. I mean, anything, it was it's far different than the way it was here, I imagine. I'm sorry about that. Um, I heard a, like, a, like some kind of, you know, cold front swept through. And then it like, it went to 60. I mean, I saw people in shorts for the pa- Patriots parade. I'm like, what is going on? Um, but anyways, um, this has nothing to do with the message. This is just me warming up and... Um, uh, just introducing myself, and uh, no, I didn't play hooky last Sunday, although I did, but it was for a good reason. We only take uh, one Sunday a year off. Can you imagine that? We're here every Sunday, um, but just one out of the year where, where we go to either Hawaii or a vacation spot, spend some time with either a missions group or just spend some time as a family, and so we got a chance to do that. We're tremendously blessed, and we're so stoked to be back. I heard the bubonic plague is moving through our community. It seems like a lot of people are sick. I go from text messages to emails. I guess the, the, the flu symptoms, something like that is like kind of sweeping through. I hope everybody's okay. If you're not okay and you're showing symptoms, don't come and talk to me after service. I, I went through two weeks of it and I don't want to go through it again. Um, no, that's just a joke. You can come to me. Um, anyways, uh, we started a new series. Hopefully you've been here um, for some of it. Uh, called New Year, New Affections. And essentially the focus has been uh, the first and second commandment. It's really been um, a, a good thing for us to reassess and maybe adjust a few things to make the first commandment a priority in our lives. As Jesus, you know, he kind of commanded us to love him. He didn't suggest it, right? I mean, we've talked a lot about uh, the first commandment being just that, a command that we are to love the Lord with all we have, are, and do. And so we've been on this kind of journey, just kind of restructuring, rethinking 2019 and how we're to thrust in to this new year as a community. And we feel as though the best way that we can do this is to prioritize the first commandment in our lives. And, and, and not only just prioritize the first commandment because it's a command, but it actually gives way to something in our lives. We actually get to do community really well as kind of the first commandment gives way to the second and that we actually love others as what we love ourselves. I don't know about you, but I am uh, particularly um, enamored with myself. I, I have a, I don't know why. I mean, there's nothing really about me to, you know, I'm not like Brad Pitt up here, you know, but I, I don't know. I, I just, I'm fascinated. I think I'm kind of cool. And uh, my only hope is that I can think others are as cool as me. And so I kind of need to prioritize um, the first commandment so I can, I can love God's people well. And community is done best. Church is done best. Now, don't get scared. I'm just recapping 
I'm not going to go over my sermon again that I preached to you last when I was here. But if you would, as we kind of get deeper into the conversation, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is probably um, no stranger to us as a community meeting. It's a a set of uh, uh, texts and verses that we're probably all familiar with. But we're going to pick up our reading in verse 19 through 24. It's uh, Matthew chapter 6. If you have your iPads, iPhones, or if you're just old school and still have the paper and you're flipping through, I mean, that's, I mean, that's pretty cool. I know, I know. That's pretty awesome. Here's the words of Jesus in verse 19 of the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Don't lay up for yourselves treasure on, treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be what? Full of darkness, of course, right? Makes sense? If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And here Jesus sums it up like this. He says, you cannot serve God and somebody say with your pastor, money. Go ahead. Let's just. Now, this is not a sermon about money. So please put that aside. However, if your God is money, then let the words of Jesus wash over you this morning. Uh, But this is not a sermon about money. Um, However, this is kind of the example that Christ gives us. Now, the verse that I want to focus in on this morning in these set of verses is actually verse 21 and starting off and wrapping some thoughts around the words of Jesus here where he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. You know, there's a lot of things, uh, I'm sure this is not new news to anybody here, but there's a lot of things in our world, in our culture, that is vying for our hearts. You know, it's, it's, I, I, don't, I don't know if you've noticed, if you've been able to be aware, but there's a lot of things going outside, uh, you know, in the culture, in the world, trying to vie, steal, and, and kind of capture the attention and even the commitment and devotion of, of God's people. And Jesus at least brings two of these things into focus uh, within these passages. Um, let's call these things besetting temptations, if we could. Now, if you could forgive me, I'm going to spit a lot. I'm going to yell a lot. I'm going to be quiet some. I'm going to butcher the English language. I'm going to do all sorts of things. Um, but my heart means well. I, I really do. <laughs> um, so please, for the front row, forgive me now. Because um, you may have some you know, whatever. Uh, but, but Jesus brings at least two things into focus within the chapter that I think we should pay attention to them. And I'd like to call them besetting temptations. Temptations that work, that its kind of job is to distract or, or rob us from uh, true satisfaction in our relationship with God the Father. Um, there also seems to be, interestingly enough, an emphasis on God the Father within the chapter 2. Jesus mentions God the Father 11 times in chapter 6 of the Gospel of Matthew. 11 times. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty significant. I think the significance of Jesus doing this is that he's kind of pointing to the significance of our relationship or the relationship between the Father and his children 
and the dangers that exist in our world to derail us from that relationship. That makes sense. Anybody with me this morning? Okay. Shout me down. You can amen me. Even if you don't like the sermon, it helps a lot. Um, But the first temptation that we see emerge within the chapter is the temptation to receive the praise of man. Now, am I alone? Uh, I, I, I actually like... Uh, being praised by my friends, especially my wife, it's a good deal. Like when she like sings my praises, you know, and I have to do a lot to kind of get that from her because, you know, you know, any, any married couple know what I'm talking about here this morning. I mean, but I love it. I, I actually love, is there anybody like me here this morning that actually loves attention? Yeah, there's a couple of honest people. I mean, but we do as humans, let's be honest, we love attention, right? And and here Jesus in Matthew 6, verses 1 and 2, kind of points out the dangers of that and and kind of encourages us to stay away from uh, uh, um, finding our significance, finding our worth, or even our identity, or anything in the praise of man. And this is what he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Can anybody relate to this? I can totally relate to this. So Jesus says, beware of this. Look out for it. Uh, To to, to practice righteousness um, before other people in order to be seen by them. He goes on, for then you will have uh, no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That's a bummer. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. How many believe that God is actually a good rewarder? That is what the Bible says in Hebrews, that God is a good rewarder of what? Those who diligently seek him. I would much rather, in my 20 plus years of ministry, receive rewards from God for good deeds than just a simple, wow, you're so good, brother. That was such a good deed. That was such a good act. You know, God has a way of rewarding us that is, that is so significant, more significant than any words, any pat on the back from another sister or brother in Christ could ever do for us. And so I, I think we ought to adhere to the words of Jesus. And, 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 and when, we, when, we, when, we're, when we're focused on doing good deeds, good deeds, uh, for example, in the Bible, especially in the Gospels, um, actually, in the chapter also are things like charitable deeds, um, prayer and fasting. These are the things in which Jesus teaches us to do without being noticed or, or do not for the cause to be noticed. So in the gospel, Jesus says to re- resist the temptation to be noticed in order to gain the praise of man. He teaches that when we do this, we forego the opportunity to be, to be rewarded by God. And, and he says that we, we kind of, we, we, the, the praise of man is like the end of our reward. It's like that's all we get out of it if that's why we do it. Does that make sense? And so Jesus warns us, warns against this, you know, and he kind of teaches us, well, he doesn't kind of teach us, he does teach us that, that our goal should be to glorify God with good works. And goes on in that teaching to say, for he will reward us openly. So, so irregardless, people will notice when God rewards us openly, they will see the favor of God and, and, and the kind of rewards of God being poured out on your life. You don't even have to receive the praise of man. They'll, everybody will notice because when God rewards us, he, he does it in front of people. 
anyways. So this is one of the things that we should be aware of. And yet our propensity towards being noticed and being seen by others is pervasive. It's, it's in the church culture even. I mean, we crave attention. How else could we explain, uh, you know, things like Facebook, <laughs> the massive success of like Instagram and all these different social media networks and platforms that, that they're, the main objective of these things is to put us on display. I don't know if you've checked me out, my, my, my social media account, uh, these last two weeks, but I was doing everything about Hawaii. I was like, yeah, look at me. And I don't know if my intentions were sincere. I was probably saying, yeah, look at me. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I imagine for whatever reasons, you know, I, I would do that. But, but we, we crave, but my point is this, we crave attention so much to the point that we've built these huge, successful things like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all Snapchat. I can't even name the endless, you know, things that we have going on out there to, to showcase us. I mean, there's a reason why Jesus would touch upon this, right? I mean, this shouldn't be like something that's like, I don't do that. Of course you do. Are you a human? You know, Jesus wouldn't have said it if he didn't think you would do it. But yet, he warns us against this. Now, listen, I'm the worst offender of this. I parade everything. I mean, irregardless if I'm at the shelter working with homeless people or I'm on holiday at Hawaii, I'm like, I'm like, look at me. I'm busy. I'm doing things. And yet Jesus warns against this. I'm not against Facebook and Instagram. You hear my heart, hopefully. Um, but again, Jesus warns us against the temptation of being noticed in, in order to be praised by man. The second temptation that emerges in Matthew chapter 6 uh, that Jesus touches upon is our battle with worldliness. Um, Matthew 6 verse 19, it says this, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The temptation of laying up treasures for ourselves that are more like the treasured things of this world is also common in the church. Um, I mean, we look at material things sometimes. I, maybe I'm speaking about myself. I look at things and I'm, and I'm saying, well, if just if I had that, if, if I had that person, if I had that thing, then I would be satisfied, then I would be secure, then I would have all that I need when the opposite is true. For example, uh, last summer, me and Bethany, I, I would say not Bethany, but me more so, struggled with wanting to get a pool. Now, I'm a pastor. I, I don't know how, where the money was going to come from to get a pool, but um, we live on this block where uh, there, there's a lot of families and with a lot of children, and Abram fits right in. There's kind of like a squad. We call them Abram's squad, Abram's gang, because uh, they love Abram, and Abram loves them, and they're always hanging out during the summer. But one of my neighbors, one neighbor has a pool. And, you know, if you know me and Bethany, we're kind of like helicopter parents. Forgive us. We, 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 kind of, we kind of, like, live by the principle that we only have one. Therefore, if anything bad happens to them, we don't have a backup plan or a backup child to say, oh, there's another. You know, I know. It sounds bad, right? I mean, I literally, we're going away to New York um, to be part of a pastor's gathering with Bill Johnson and, 
and Benning Leitcher and Eric Johnson and such. And, and, and we're like the only family who asked Banning if they could find some kind of place for Abram to come. And he's like, this is a question I've never been asked before. I don't know where we're going to come up with this. And we realized that, oh, my God. We're, we're those parents, and we're, we're and, and he, he was kind of like, you're weird, like, it's okay, like, can you find sitting for two days? And we're like, you don't understand, like, he's our only one. If something bad happens to him, we don't have a backup plan. So uh, we actually said that. He laughed. I don't know. It's, I don't know if I should be concerned about him laughing, but we're, we are those parents. And, 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 you know, in being those parents, we, we kind of want Abram and his friends to think our house is what? The coolest, you know? I mean, my neighbors are good. They're good people. But, I, you know, they, they do things I don't do. I'm just going to be honest. I'm not that neighbor. But, you know, I look at them from my perch with judgmental eyes. I see them drinking. You know, I'm like, yeah, sinners. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, but I, I, you know, in being helicopter parents, you, 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 you kind of just, you're overprotective. And you just want to be able to wrap that kid in a bubble and, and let him live, like in a bubble, a safe bubble, and uh, it, it can't happen. So during the summer, of course, when it's hot and all the kids are out, Abram wants to go where? He wants to go to the neighbors who drank casually, you know, they're not alcoholics, but, uh, you know, I'm just kidding. Um, but he likes to go there, and we're kind of like, no, we want you guys to hang here, but we don't have a pool, so there's this, like, temptation, we need a pool. Our house needs to be the coolest place for kids to hang around. But you know what? Nothing about that sounds rational or reasonable. We don't know that if we place a pool in the ground that Abram and his friends will actually pick that house. We just assume. And we fight, and for the summer at least, and some of this winter, because we're like, well, maybe they're cheaper now because it's winter time. Uh, we're, we're fighting that temptation to kind of keep up with the Joneses in order to provide some kind of spot um, for our children to hang out and play. And my, my point is this, is we find, or we're inclined as humans to find security and satisfaction in the temporal instead of our relationship with God, which is eternal. Um, again, the problem with both of these temptations that Jesus touches upon in the scriptures that both work to distract us from what truly matters. Um, a perfect example of this, guys, is the story of the rich young ruler. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 19. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar. I'm just going to breeze, kind of summarize through the passage, and hopefully you can follow along. But um, this rich young ruler asked Jesus, you ever notice that a lot of people would ask Jesus questions, either to like, like throw him off guard or um, trip him up and make him appear like he doesn't know scripture? Or um, in this case, I think the rich young ruler asked a very sincere question. Um, I don't know what happened to that in the church. Please don't ask me a question right now. That would be totally uncomfortable and people would look at you weird. Um, but I think it's interesting that in Jesus' days, questions were frequently asked. And this question that was asked um, is an interesting one, nevertheless. It's because of the way that the story kind of unfolds. So let's go through it. He says this, teacher, this is Matthew 19, verse 16. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus answers, obey the commandments. At this, the rich young ruler replied, which ones? And to that, Jesus said, honor your father and mother. Uh, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. And do not steal. And he goes on. To that, the rich young ruler says, 
I've kept all those things. Now, here's where the conversation becomes a little interesting. And here is a very dangerous question to ask Jesus. But it's a necessary one. It's necessary for us even today. So, so hear me now. The rich young ruler says, all those things that you've just laid out, Jesus, I do. And what else do I lack? That is a dangerous question to ask God. It's dangerous because you never know what you're going to get back. But it's also necessary for each and every one of us here today to ask, what else do I lack? Jesus responded to this young man and said, sell all you have. Give your wealth to the poor and follow me. Now, now you, my, where I'm trying to go with this is, remember Matthew 6, verse 21, where your treasure is, there lies your heart also. This is an example of a person in the gospel who, who throughout this story, what ultimately happens is Jesus reveals what this rich young ruler treasures the most. And so uh, you can tell by the way this man answered the question or responded to Jesus where his heart was. His heart was controlled by wealth. He was willing to um, let go of his possessions in order uh, to follow Jesus and have eternal life. I mean, think about it for a second. Um, He is willing to love his neighbor. He's willing to do those commands that uh, are pertaining or regarding other humans. But, But when it comes down to loving God, he's unwilling to let go of his wealth, and his possessions. This is interesting to me. Um, and, and it kind of led me to it through a sequence of thoughts, even about my own life, and, and how I could maybe potentially assess where my heart is at, given what I treasure the most. Are you following me? And I came to this conclusion, and I'd like to uh, share it with you this morning. If you are also wondering what you treasure the most. And I would say the easiest way to determine where our hearts are at is observing, honest observation of how enamored or how in love we are with temporal things versus eternal things. Let me say that again. The easiest way to determine where our hearts are at is simply just observing an honest observation. And in this case, what else do I lack? That honest observation of like, what do I treasure the most? Is it things that are temporal or things that are permanent? If, if we would take time to honestly assess, assess our commitments, our attachments, our need for temporal things over permanent, it would reveal exactly where our hearts are at, much like it did for the rich young ruler. When Jesus served that final blow, sell all you have. <laughs> Woo, you're touching something close To my heart, God, sell all you have. Give your wealth to the poor. 
and follow me, it revealed the attachment to materialism and wealth, that that was greater in this young man's heart than a love for Jesus that would cause him to forego and let go of wealth and possessions to follow Jesus. It says this in Matthew 20, 19, 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Which leads me to my next point in the next scripture. No one can serve two masters. Because ultimately, this is the issue for this rich young ruler. He has two things that he's trying to live probably wholeheartedly for. In, 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 in the, in the, in the crust of the issue is that he's trying to live in two realities that he wasn't meant to live in. He's trying to serve two different things that we're, we're not meant to serve as children of God. And so Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 6 to say, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Now let me be clear again. This sermon is not about money. It's about where our hearts are at. But let me be clear. If your God is money, then Jesus has a prescription for you and you should give notice to Matthew chapter 6 for he will tell you what he thinks about your God called Benjamin Franklin. There's plenty in the chapter that will speak to your heart if you let it. And Jesus will give you his perspective. The issue, the main issue, is about trying to serve two masters. It can't be done. This is Jesus' kind of clarion call within the scripture. It can't be done. But I, I can't help but think a lot of us do it as Christians. We try to kind of live in two realities and the crux of our dilemma is not like anything but just trying to serve two masters. I don't know if we can go there, if we actually think that we do that, but I can point out several areas in my life where I think I'm doing everything on the outside right, but there's still something off on the inside. And that's exactly what this man is, is inclining to here you know, even with his words, what else do I lack? It's almost as if he's saying, Jesus, I have loved my neighbor. I, I, I am not going to commit adultery. I will not steal. But what else do I lack? He, it's almost like he's, he's something from within him knows something is off. Have you ever felt like in your life, something is off? I have several times, several impasses in my walk with Jesus where I feel like something is amiss, something is off. Adam Clark, a well-known theologian that I kind of steal a lot of things from and call my own, um, he, <laughs> um, He gave this excellently excellent commentary, excuse me, on Matthew chapter 6. And I want to share some of his um, as we conclude the sermon this morning. But um, 
In regards to Matthew 6, 24, which is the text I would just read, um, Adam says this, we serve that only which we love supremely. Well, that's not a good one-liner. We serve that only which we love supremely. Now, I imagine for some of us that could be debatable, you know, like I imagine for some here that you can, oh, that's a bit unreal, that's over the top, a bit unlogical, probably find some holes in that argument, but I don't think it veers too far of what Jesus is communicating here um, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Adam explains in this commentary how humans cannot be in perfect indifference between two objects which are incompatible. And in, in, in Jesus' mind, what's incompatible is what God in money. <laughs> Now, I, I, this might speak to people who are all about the prosperity gospel and have a certain kind of theology and mindset about money, but I, I want to just say openly so I don't get emails and, and conversations, I, I, I believe that we should have money. I just don't believe that we should make a God of it. I, I think that um, we should work. I think we need to pay our bills, um, but I don't think that we should let money, the love for money, rob us from true joy and satisfaction in God. And so I want to be clear, but Jesus does point out, and he maybe just uses money as the example, that these two things are incompatible. Have you ever thought that there are things about this life, this world, that just are, God is not for, but he's actually against? Things, things that are just, they're incompatible to him. He doesn't get it. He's not, he's not for it, but he stands in opposition. Have you ever seen God, or have you ever gone there in your mind to think God might think like that, that he might do things, or like there might be processes in his mind that says, I don't like that. That's not who I am. Well, there are things, and Jesus points this out, and he regards them to masters, in this case, the two masters, again, are money and God, and they are incompatible in the sense that both cannot be supremely treasured at the same time. Supremely treasured. Jesus is clear in the text about this, and Adam's point is that our inclination as humans is to despise, excuse me, and hate whatever we do not love supremely. And, and this kind of touches, I believe, upon what Jesus is saying here. It's not necessarily that money is bad, but the love of money is bad. And, and, and money is bad in the sense if it robs you from true, again, joy in Jesus. And it's, you can fill in the blanks ultimately with anything you want. Uh, you know, we don't even have to just talk about money. You, you could put there whatever it is that you feel in your heart, you treasure more than Jesus. The problem is with Jesus' like, kind of assessment is you cannot, it's impossible for God's servant to, to serve both things, to be kind of split in their commitments, in their devotion, that they will either end up resenting one and loving the other hating one and being devoted to the other. You know, when I grew up, it was interesting. I never really understand it, understood it, excuse me, um, uh, psychologically. But when I was growing up, uh, my, I, I loved music. You know, I, I, I still do. I, 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 I mean, I, forgive me. Like, I don't think all, like, non-Christian music is demonic. Okay? All right? 
I don't. I mean, sure, there, there's plenty out there that is. But I, 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 and I, I see that, I get it. But I'm, I just, I, I don't walk around thinking that everything that doesn't say God and Jesus in it is unholy. Like, it's, you know, I, and I grew up in a family that lived like that. They kind of grew us up to think, like, if it doesn't have the name of Jesus in it, if it's not, you know. And I get what they were trying to do, but in a sense, they were way over the top with it. And I remember as a young boy starting to grow in resentment, not necessarily to my parents, but to God, because God always seemed to be brought into the equation in the argument, as if I was doing something that was going to kind of, you know, rob me of eternal life. <laughs> you know, that's kind of like a conversation. My son, he also loves music. I'll be honest with you guys. He'll, he knows names of artists that I don't know. And I've later Googled and I'm like, oh my God, how do you know this person exists? Okay, like, like you don't understand. I just mentioned some time ago that me and, parent, me and Bethany, we're, we're, we like hover over this boy. It's amazing that he still loves us. <laughs> but I've always, I've, I, I've kind of, I, I didn't want to do to Abram what was done to me when it comes to music, when it comes to other things. I want to keep like an open ear and an open mind. You know, obviously I want to challenge things that should be challenged, but I don't want to do it in the way that it was done to me because I realized the way that it was done for me, the way that my parents sought to control me in different areas out of fear, I, I began not to just resent them. I, I began to really hate God for it. Because God was always like part of the equation. Like anything that didn't have God's name in it, Jesus' name in it, it's not holy, it's not good. You can't listen to it or you're going to hell. Now that sounds radical, but it, it was really like that. And, and, and I've, I've always wanted to keep more of an open heart with my son. Not because of anything else that I don't want him to start having this weird um, uh, like, like perspective about God. And so... You know, we'll be driving in the car and he'll turn on the radio. You know, he prefers secular music over Christian. And, and we're in that car and, you know, Post Malone will come on, you know. And, you know, you don't even know half of the words because every other word has to be bleeped out because it's a swear and, 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 and all such. And, and, then, um, and then Cardi B. Anybody familiar with Cardi B? I mean, these guys are vulgar and disgusting. And so I'm taking a different route in hopes that I don't shut him down, thinking like God opposes Cardi B because she's demonic. Of course, the things she's talking about are tremendously perverted and demonic. But see, God still loves her. And so I'm trying to take a, a, a different route because I don't want Abram to get up into his teenagers, you know, his years of, you know, 15, 16, starting to develop this complex and this kind of hatred towards God because I, I forced it down his throat to say, you better not listen to this. Better not do that. I want to, I want to kind of use the lyrics of the artists to point out why I disagree. You know, Abram, do you know what they're talking about? Yeah, let me, let me talk to you. They're talking about a strip joint. You know, they're talking about building a strip joint in their kitchen. And, and you know, so I'll go there. And it's funny, he'll, he'll just be like, well, first of all, he's like, what's a strip joint? I'm like, okay, like, let's, let's get into this. But I start taking a different kind of, you know, a different approach with him. And you know what? He, his heart is open to God. It's not closed because I'm not using placing God in the equation here so that he can one day grow up to hate God because his dad always told him that God was, you know, against Cardi B, 
you know, are against Post Malone. Now, that might be a pretty lame example, but I think it's, it's, it's indicative of some of the ways in which we think about God, maybe even some of the ways that we were raised in families that were extremely religious. And again, when it comes down, friends, to serving two masters, that's kind of somewhat of what Jesus touches upon when he talks about hating one and loving the other. Because if you're not loving Jesus supremely and it's kind of split with this or that or any, whatever it is, whatever it is that, that, that has your heart, then you'll probably end up resenting Jesus. You, you'll probably end up, either regardless, if you ever utter the words, if they just remain as thoughts alone, you probably end up even, dare I say, hating God because you feel like his kind of sole purpose is just to prevent you from doing things that you want to do that he's not in agreement with. When God is saying, no, go ahead and do them. I just want you to love me. I'm not looking to be this, this master that lords over people. I'm looking to present something to them in hopes that they'll love me supremely. And, and so it just changes the game of faith and religion. When we're, we don't look at this thing as we're like little controlled, you know, mechanical robots doing everything that God says to do. You know, because he's pulling the strings, just like little puppets. It just changes the name of the game when we are treasuring God only, supremely, meaning we love him more than money. We love him more than music, you know? And I'm praying that for my son, because right now, I know Abram, he loves the Cardi B's of the world. He could care less about uh, having a heart and an interest in the Lord. (laughs) There's little, there's little strands of hope but for the most part he would much rather listen to a Johnny Cash album than a Keith Green and he would much rather read about goblins and ghosts than Jesus you know and my hopes is not to set up a dilemma in his heart where I start to manipulate him through you know talking about the dangers of serving two masters, my hope is that he'll fall in love with Jesus. And as a result of falling in love with Jesus, that fascination with ghosts and goblins and music will lessen because a love in his heart for Jesus is starting to grow and blossom. Is everybody okay? I'm just trying to think where to go. So we serve that which we love supremely. Jesus knows that a servant's loyalty cannot be divided between two masters, essentially, is why he gives us Matthew 6 24. If a servant's loyalty is divided between uh, two masters, one of whom he affectionately loves and maybe one of the masters in whom he begrudgingly obeys, he will either learn, right, to hate and uh, resent one while loving the other. And this is 
hopefully what I just tried to give the example of and it stuck with some of you. You know, the point of all of this is simply this. Um, If you or I try uh, to serve two different masters, the results of that will be somewhat devastating in that um, we will live a life totally conflicted, um, totally torn between two realities where on one hand, we try to serve God, love God supremely, and on the other hand, we try to keep alive things that are incompatible with treasuring God supremely. And I can't help but think more Christians today live conflicted uh, than whole. And I would include myself in that number. Um, and, and I really do feel as though this is kind of the crux of what Jesus is communicating, that if you want to end that cycle of feeling conflicted, you make God your treasure. You, 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 you make God where your heart finds home, where it finds life, where it finds satisfaction. You know, and and I, I can't help but think the real dilemma in the people of God today is trying to serve two different realities, trying to store up treasures in heaven while all the while trying to stir up store up, excuse me, or lay up treasures in this world. And, and I, I don't know, I, I just sometimes in my prayer closet, I'm like, Lord, end this cycle. <laughs> Have you ever prayed prayers like that? You're just like, you feel like you're on this treadmill. You feel like, you feel like sometimes in life you're, you're, you're you know, you know, walking around that mountain base and you think you're getting somewhere, but you ultimately end up at the same place over and over and over again. And, and most likely that's what this young ruler connected with there in Matthew chapter 19 where he's like, I know I'm doing many things right, but there is still something wrong. And, and, and Jesus, what else do I lack? Is there anybody bold enough, courageous enough to actually ask Jesus questions like that this morning and, and Monday as we go into the week? Is there anybody who has the courage to say, Jesus, I know I'm doing a lot of things right, but there still seems to be something off. What do I lack? And then just waiting. Seeing what the Father says, seeing what Jesus speaks, seeing what he reveals. I really think that is the heart of a healthy person. It really is. You know, some of us could be like, well, you're just so introspective and you're just like, why are you praying prayers like that? I think it's a good thing to pray prayers like this. I, I think it's dangerous, but it's needed and necessary. And, and I would like our community, nothing would please me more as a pastor to see and witness our community be bold and courageous like this man was to ask Jesus such a question. But also, dare I say, be bold and courageous not to let possessions, not to let materialism or whatever it is stand in the way of Christ becoming what we supremely treasure in our hearts.
And I think this follows right along the line of our series. I believe God wants to give us, us, his people, his children, his church, this kind of heart for him. I, I feel as though even when it comes and boils down to our affections, I believe God wants to give us the, 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 the sensitivity of heart to, to say honestly before God, what else do I lack, Father? Speak to me. I know I want that. I, I want that so desperately in my life. And I want that for our church. I pray that we would have this kind of boldness to ask these kind of questions and the resolve to not walk away in sorrow like the man who could not give up his possessions and his wealth. Essentially, it's either Jesus is superior to all other things in our heart and in our lives. Um, he's either the object of our supreme affections, if you would, meaning that he takes up, you know, if you were to like have a couple things where your heart is totally committed to and love and, and kind of enamored with, those things could not share the space in your heart and your affections um, with Jesus. He wants to take up that space and be whom you truly love and adore. He will not share this with earthly treasures, worldliness. He will not share that space, friends. This is a hard reality and a hard truth. But God will have no others. It's, it's kind of a commandment, right? He, he does not share airtime. He does not share uh, the news channel. It's God all the time. God everywhere, above you, below you, beside you, behind you, in front of you. It's God 24-7 or nothing. That's a hard reality, but it's so true. It is so true. God will not share space with anything else in your heart. He will either be supremely cherished or forego being cher cherished at all. That's amazing. And you know what? He doesn't lord over us and bend us to cherish him. He kind of just lays it out before us. Sell all your possessions. What are you going to do? Huh. I know what I'm going to do. That's what this new year is all about. I'm not letting anything stand in the way, friends. Let's not, let's, 2019, let's not let anything stand in our way from letting God take up his residence inside of our hearts. I mean, come on. I don't want anything. I don't want pools. <laughs> I don't want anything standing in the way of my heart being fully given over to Jesus Christ in 2019. Father, I thank you for this people. I don't know if anything this morning resonate with anybody. I pray, Lord, that it does. Lord, I pray 
I pray, God, that you would raise up a people that, that, that are so bold and so tenacious, Lord, in the place of their faith, Lord, in, in the place of, of serving Jesus supremely. Lord, that our service unto Jesus would not be split. It would not be divided between materialism and Jesus, between, you know, relationships and Jesus, between wealth and Jesus, all these different things vying for our heart and our attention, jobs, careers, retirement, God, everything. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that, Father, you would become what we cherish the most, what we treasure the most. And, Lord, that I also pray that, Lord, whenever we are faced with Jesus revealing what we treasure the most, we would be so willing to say, no, no, God, I, I will give it. I, I don't, if wealth stands in the way, Lord, then have it. Have it, God. If, if relationships stand in the way, have them, God. If church, if success and big careers and jobs and retirement, God, if they stand in the way, have it. I don't want anything standing in my way, God. Pray that you would remove those attachments and you would cause us, your people, your bride, your children, to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven and not treasures on earth. Do a work, Lord, this year. Do a work in us, Lord where you become what we supremely treasure in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.